Welcome to episode number 32 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. We're creating a worldwide community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. Today's episode, we're doing a dust collector training mini session with Matt Divot. Matt's director of operations at BWF Envirotech, based out of Hebron, Kentucky. And he's uh, really knowledgeable in this area, so I'm really happy to have him on the show. So Matt, thank you for spending your time to, to help us learn about this topic. Not a problem. Definitely happy to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me. So I met Matt across LinkedIn. If you if you happen to be connected with him, he's a, the guy who's always posting videos that are a mix of productivity, personal effectiveness, and then lots of dust collector and baghouse training and design technical aspects mixed in there. So he's kind of hard to miss in that space. In the previous podcast episodes, we've talked a lot about dust collector safety. Episode four, we talked about the Nova Scotia Dust Collector Program with Jeremy Slon White. In 18, we talked about the five top mistakes companies make with their system design with Diane Cave. Episode 16, we talked about designing dust flow protection programs with Jill Plourd. And more recently in 29, we talked about changes in the dust collection equipment landscape with Jeremy, Jeremiah Wan. But it just kind of occurred to me as I went through these that we haven't done a kind of a fundamental episode on what is a dust collector, what are the components, and just giving the, the listeners you know, a, a lay of the land for this piece of equipment. So that's really what I brought Matt on here to do today. I know PWF Envirotech does their Dust Collector Training Academy each year, their Baghouse Training Academy in September. Um, this year is September 16th and 19th. That's a two or maybe three day seminar covering everything for dust collection systems. And hopefully we have this next 25 minutes, we can pull us over a mini training session from that. So if you're, if you're just a complete beginner in dust collection, this should be really helpful and just giving the lay of the land. And if you're more advanced and you, you work with these systems all the time, I'm pretty sure Matt's going to also throw a lot of you know, tips in there on things that we need to know and understand. So I think it's going to be a really great episode for that. So maybe by way of just getting started, Matt, what, what does BWF Envirotech do and, and kind of what's your role or roles within the, the company today? Yeah, absolutely, Chris. So BWF Envirotech, we are a fabric filtration company and the Envirotech group, which I'm a part of, we focus on air filtration. So in our German manufacturing office over in Offingen, Germany, is where we make our felted rolled goods. And then those rolled goods come over to us in northern Kentucky and Hebron. And that's where we do conversion into filter bags. So that's really our, our bread and butter is the filtration, the material, the engineering of the felt for specific applications. But then what we've done is we've broadened out our scope of services because we understand the filter, like we're going to talk about in the session, is just one piece of an overall system. And all of those parts of the system need to work properly. So we've started to expand our services with training and education on how to get your system working right to mechanical maintenance, installation, turnkey, so on and so forth. All focused on the baghouse and air filtration. But that's that in a nutshell is what BWF Envirotech does. And the way I support the company as the director of operations, so I watch over the manufacturing process, which is the conversion of rolled goods into uh, filter bags, as well as our environmental services, which is all of our mechanical-based uh, project services. And then lastly, the, the third pillar we have is our technical services, which is where we do maybe higher level process audits, all of the training, both hands-on, on-site, off-site, et cetera, all falls into that category as well. So that's what I watch over within the company. 
Yeah, that's a good background. I, it's already kind of readily apparent why it makes sense to have you on talking about this, just what is a, a dust collection system. Starting with, you know, the one of the critical elements, the bags and the filters and the material that's used, and then all the way out to the, you know, the full solution. It sounds like you guys are have your hand in, in different pieces the whole way through. For introduction, and this is this is a little bit greedy for me because I've never actually taken a dust collector course or, or anything like that. So it's a little bit helpful for me. And then even for somebody that's more advanced, I'm hoping it'll be helpful. But what are the, the different parts of a correctly functioning dust collection system? The different parts that you have in the overall system, I'm going to lump them together in uh, relatively large areas, though there's a lot of, you know, I guess sub uh, assemblies that would go into each one of those. But the, the four main areas that I really look at when it comes to a properly functioning dust collection system is going to be the hood, the ductwork, the box, for lack of a better word, but this is really, you know, also known as the dust collector itself. So everything that's attached to that box. And then finally, the exhaust system. So where the, the clean air is going and so on and so forth. So it's really those four areas, the hood, the ductwork, the bag house itself or dust collector itself, and then the exhaust system. Okay. And I, I know people say that they deal with different types of dust collection systems. And could you just give us, we don't need to go really in detail of the different types, but what are the, maybe in the names or the, the distinguishing between different types of systems, just so when people hear them, they, they have a better idea of what, what people are talking about. Sure. So there's a couple of ways to, I guess, to, to cut that pie. Most commonly, the systems that people will work with out there are what are called a pulse jet dust collection system or um, medium pressure or high pressure pulse jet system. But really, if we step back, if we want to look at how we parse down the equipment itself, the first way I look at is, was the system designed to clean either in an online or an offline cleaning mode. And what that means is when it's cleaning online, I am doing something to remove the dust cake off of the filter while that filter is still taking on gas to be cleaned. Whereas an offline system, I'm actually going to isolate a section of the bag house and prevent any new gas from coming into it with particulate and then clean the filters down at that point. So that's one way. And the reason I bring that up is because you can have a pulse jet system that's designed to either run online or offline cleaning. And that's where you can get into some of the subcategories that you have here. You know, some of the other ways that you can take a look at it as well, as far as breaking them out is um, just the general way you get the dust cake off of the filter bag. So like I said, there's pulse jet where you're using high pressure air that you're blasting in from the top into the bag. And what it's doing is it's expanding that filter bag out from the support cage and breaking the, the dust cake off that way. So it moves its way down into the hopper. Another one is reverse air. And so this is a different configuration. This is where the dust is actually captured on the inside of the bag. And what you're doing is you're using the process gases and you're reversing the airflow through the compartment to break the dust cake and move it into the hopper that way. Another one is called a shaker, which is just the way it sounds. You are mechanically shaking the filter bag so that you can get the dust cake off of the filter. There's also, you know, plenum pulse styles. And then the last one is like a rotary arm where you will have a rotating arm above the tube sheet and for jargon terms, the tube sheet is where you're actually putting the bag. So that's what's adhering the, or supporting the bag. It's what separates the dirty side from the clean side. So you'll have this rotating arm that's going above the tube sheet and it will index to a certain point and then it will blow down 
into the bag. So those are kind of the, the different ways that you can break the, uh, the cake up is another way that you can categorize it. And then the last way is just what kind of filter does it actually use? Is it a top load bag system? Is it a bottom load bagging cage system? Does it use a, a pleated filter? Does it use a large diameter cartridge pleated filter? So there's a lot of subcategories that go into it. And it really depends on your application on which one is going to be best for what you want to do. Yeah. Thank you for that breakdown. And I think you've just saved me probably, you know, hours of scratching my head when I'm talking to people because they, they, they may pick a different one of those different categories and and talk about it. And then I'm, I got to figure out which one it is. So I'll give a brief summary. You mentioned the systems, you have the hood, the duct work, the box or the bag host where the, the filters sit and the exhaust system and, and a fan that would also be included in that. Then for the actual categorization, it can be done a couple ways. So you can do it based on when the bags are cleaned. If you if they're clean when they're still in the, the airstream, when they're still processing dirty gas and turning into clean gas, or sections that that go offline when they do the cleaning. Uh, so it's online, offline. You can also divide them based on how they clean. So pulse jet, um, reverse air, shaker, tight pulsers, plenum, pul- plenum cleaners, and and rotary arms. And also the type of filter. So those are sort of great, great breakdowns. We didn't talk about this before the the episode, but do you find that some of these are more commonly used in combustible dust aspects versus sort of inert dust aspects? Or um, do you have any any thoughts on that? Yeah. So within, so I guess a little bit more background on myself. So most of my background has been process engineering projects within cement, calcined lime, steel, waste heat to power, and Within those industries, the ones that are using pulverized fuel, mostly in cement, they have all been pulse jet style systems. And the reason is they do a very good job of cleaning the gas or sorry, cleaning the the dust off of the filter bag, but they also do it with very little ambient air. So, you know, a, a reverse air system can use a lot of the process gas, but if you've got holes and things like that in there, you know, you can start bringing in a lot of air and leakage. And so within these pulverized coal systems or pulverized fuel systems that we'll use in cement, for example, um, you really want to minimize and have absolutely no air and leakage because you're always using the low O2 combustion gases off of a different side of the plant that you're using to come in and dry the material. But anyways, what I see more commonly are the high pressure or medium pressure pulse jet systems within those applications. Okay. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And the goal of this episode was actually really to focus more on just getting dust cleaned up because um, we've covered combustible dust so much. So I, we didn't really uh, prep for, for the combustible dust side, but I think it's helpful just to, to give the, the listeners over. And it's definitely helpful for me. Um, in terms of the kind of standard system we outline now, what do, what do people need to know about the first couple pieces? So hoods and duct work, what, what should people be aware of with uh, regard to those subsystems, if you will? Yeah, so the so hoods are kind of interesting. And, and hoods and enclosures, sometimes those terms are used interchangeably. To me, they're, they're different, but I can understand how they, how they can be interchanged when you're talking to somebody for the first time. So to me, is the enclosure or box or, or whatever you're using to create a barrier between where the dust is being generated at that point and then the outside world. And then the hood is where you're transitioning 
your pickup or your ventilation point from the enclosure to the transport duct. And it's minor. That's why I don't mind when the terms are any changed because it's not that big of a deal. But there is a, a reason to have that hood in place. And that's so you have a smooth transition. You can create some physical distance between the transport duct and the enclosure. And the reason I say that is the general face velocity you want at your hood is going to be somewhere between about 200 to 300 feet per minute, which I believe, and don't hold me to this in metric, but I think it's somewhere around like a meter per second, one, 1. 1.2, something like that. At that point, that's what you want because that's how you can move the fine dust particulate. But if your enclosure is built properly, all of the heavy dust will drop back out or it will stay within that system. Uh, one of the analogies I give in my training classes when my daughter is uh, helping my wife or myself you know, cook and stuff like that, I don't get nervous when she grabs the flour in the jar until I notice there's no lid on the jar, right? And so I don't mind how much dust she generates effectively in the enclosure. I only care about the dust that's generated that's close to where it can get out of that enclosure. And so that's why the hood is always going to be situated at a point to where it can capture the really fine dust. But again, the reason you want that physical distance is that you may only be, you know, 250 feet per minute at the inlet to the hood, but in the transport duct, I have to be significantly faster. I'm talking 3,500, 4,000 feet per minute. Some materials have to be closer to 4,500 or 5,000 feet per minute. So if you do not create that transition, you increase the amount of resistance in the system. You can also create this kind of like vacuum cleaner nozzle that's pulling in a lot of extra material into the bag house, which you don't want. So that's one of the the things that I'll see is that I'll see a good enclosure, but I won't see a hood. And that's where people will overload their bag house. And that's because they're picking up a lot of extra material that isn't in quotes dust, but it's just getting pulled into the bag house. So I can picture what the hood design looks like. um, And, and I have some kind of some feedback on that from a previous episode, but the enclosure is that, is that like a big thing that the workers are working in or is that a smaller, like, can you just kind of give us an example of what, what the enclosure and hood system looks like just for the, the audience? Yeah. So, you know, if we talk about, uh, you know, like a paint booth, you know, so the booth itself could be considered part of the enclosure. And then, you know, like the slots behind it would be the, the hood section itself. Another one would be on uh, belt conveyors. So something different. So this isn't where a person's working, but you've got a transfer point from a chute down to a, a belt conveyor that's moving a you know a rock material or something like that around. So now you're going to create a box that that chute will enter into that sets above it sets above and and right on the belt itself. So then the dust that's generated from that transfer, most of it stays in the enclosure. And then I'm using the hood to pick up and direct the the fine dust up to the bag house itself. Okay, perfect. That's a that's a good a good way to explain it. And I, I didn't, I didn't think of the two different parts there. So the enclosure is really to, to minimize the the dust escaping the the dust collection system to kind of hold it there, let the large particles settle out while the small ones can get sucked up. The hood, I think uh, one of the ways that Diane uh, mentioned it in, in episode 18 of the podcast was that with the duct work, you can only pick up dust. That's about half the diameter of the duct work away. So if you have a really small duct ductwork tubing, then you have to be really close to the dust. You have need to have high velocities and you're going to pick up a lot of extra stuff then and you're going to miss the dust that's not close enough. I think what you're saying with the hood design is that allows you to 
get farther away, you can kind of taper that down and get a larger area with a smaller velocity. You can pick up the dust. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, that, that's completely in line with one of the reasons to, you know, have the smooth transition there is you're right. If you have just a, a pipe and you're pulling air through it, you're actually going to end up, if you look at the velocity contours around it, you're going to pull air in from behind the face of the duct itself. You know, so the first way you get around that is you put a flat flange on it, but then that's not the most efficient way to transition air from low velocity to high velocity. And so that's when you go the next step of putting in a tapered design, um, think a pyramid style kind of hood, it gives you a much gradualer increase in speed. And that's just another way to make the system more efficient by reducing the system resistance at that point. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. That's a, I think that helps to kind of lay out the different pieces. So, well, one of the things, no, sorry. So with uh, ductwork, just the one, the one point I make to people about that, it, it's really in three areas is one, minimize the total amount of ducting you're going to run when you can. So sometimes when looking at a project, moving the bag house sometimes will make more sense than trying to do like a 200, you know, 200 foot long run, you know, to connect to the bag house. Cause you've got a whole lot of extra ducting. It's going to be harder to balance. You know, the other one is with ducting is remember every time you change direction, you want to have so many, you want to have about five to seven diameters of straight run before and after that. And that's really like, if you think of a river, when it goes around a bend, you know, it's going to widen out and then it kind of, it, it consolidates itself back down. The air is going to do the same thing. And the more times you change direction, if you don't allow it to consolidate itself back down, it takes more energy to make it change direction again. So that's another one. And then the last one is, is kind of a Goldilocks rule, right? If you can't be too big and you can't be too small in diameter of the ducting that you're running. If you're too big, then your velocity is too low and material is going to drop out. If you're much too small, then your velocity is going to be really high, assuming the same volume, and you're going to have abrasion issues and things like that within your, within your system. Yeah, those are some good points. And I, I know, made a couple notes here. One is, is what kind of... There's actually, I think there's multiple parts to this, but what kind of percentage of material should we be picking up with a, with a well-functioning dust collection system? Ooh, um, mm, good one. Uh, it really depends. So it's going to depend on, you know, like the density of dust, the, the fineness. Um, so I was just working in part of a quarry earlier this week and the material that goes through the the primary and secondary crusher, I mean, the top end size on that stuff is still, you know, three and four inches, you know? So yes, there's a fine fraction to it, but it also has some surface moisture, you know? So I'm not expecting to collect a whole lot of dust off of that system, just kind of what's being fractured within the crushers themselves. Move over to another area and a cement plant in like the finished milling building. And effectively, most of the dust collectors there are kind of at times considered product capture systems. And so they may actually be capturing the majority of the finished product going through that system is all being collected at a bag house. And at that point, your grain loading is considerably higher because it was designed to actually capture all that fine material. So it really depends. So I don't have a good rule of thumb, except for the fact I would say less is more if, if your system can handle it. You know, so if you can get away with theoretically between, you know, just the two of us at the water cooler, you know, if you, if you're thinking 30% is what you need to collect, but for some reason you can keep your ventilation points dust free, 
by collecting only, let's say, 20% of the total, then I would do that. You know, you really want to figure out what's the minimum effective dose that I can maintain a dust-free environment at those points. Okay, that's a interesting way to think about it. And I, it wasn't quite the way I was had in my head. I was picturing a lot of facilities are, are running dust collection systems and and maybe not running them correctly or running them optimized. And my my kind of expected answer might have been, um, you know, a lot more than you're currently <laughs> currently collecting or something like that. At least in the combustible dust world, where not having that collected means that you kind of you have a hazard that's building up. But I'm, I mean, I'm sure that's part and parcel with what you're saying as well, that yeah, if you improve that system, you're going to be able to pick up more of it. And, you know, the, the hood design, the enclosure, those are all different ways that you can, you can improve that. Yeah. And, and even if you step back one, one step farther into the process, you know, the first thing you want to ask is, well, what am I actually collecting dust off of? You know, what is this hood and enclosure going on? The amount of volume I need for a 48-inch wide duct is going to be considerably different than if you're looking at like a screw or maybe a bin that's taking on grain or something of that nature. You know, so you really want to back up one step further and go, okay, well, how much ventilation do I need at this point in order to properly maintain the dust inside of it based on best practices and then look to other industries and and like what you're doing yourself. Okay. Where have people actually had problems with this? What were they doing? What can I learn from that and implement that within my system as well? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it ties right back into your, your duct design because the, the, the follow-on question to the how much should you pick up was actually um, going to lead right into where you're saying the, you need to not have too big of a duct or too small of a duct. You have too big of a duct, it's going to settle in your duct work and then you just have the, the dust sitting there overhead, which is a hazard. Or if it's going too fast, then you're going to have abrasion in your duct line, like you said, and, and then you're just going to be having smaller and smaller particle size, which is an additional hazard that you wouldn't need to be, wouldn't need to be involved if you had the correct airflow velocity through there. Yeah, so it's it's interesting how the the processes still you know hold true and and come back to combustible dust hazards as well. I think so. So we we have hoods and duct work down. We have some ideas there. What do what do people need to know about bag houses and and bags? So since you limited me to only uh, thirty minutes, I'll see if I can put this out there. Sorry if anybody. I know this is your favorite part. So <laughs> I know it's uh you know hopefully nobody feels like they're trying to drink from a fire hose here, but. If there's one item, and I've kind of been alluding to this as we've been talking, but if there's one item that people will take away on what a bag house or dust collector should be, and that's it should be a dust collection system and not a vacuum cleaner. Okay, It shouldn't be used as a part of your material handling system or a material handling device within the system. It's meant only to collect the dust that is not going to settle out or maintain itself or stay within the enclosure itself that's pretty much it everything else goes into you know what's the process gas made out of do i need to make it out of stainless can i use a coating should i use a medium pressure system to clean down you know do i go with long bag technology with a a bottom and high side inlet etc 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 and that's where you can dig really into the minutiae of the idea but the point being is that I should only be collecting as much dust as is necessary to make the whole process efficient. Right. Okay. And I I have to give you a chance here on the, the filters as well, because I, I know that's what BWF, you know, focuses on originally. But what is what are the different things that are, you need to be aware of if you're, I don't know, picking 
materials and I'm sure thicknesses and, and uh, you know, weave how tightly it's woven in that. Is there, are there considerations with the actual filter material that are important to think of? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you can, you can uh, yeah, there's a lot of ways that you can pick a, a filter bag wrong. And there's a lot of ways you can pick a filter bag that is effectively more than what's actually needed for the process. And it really comes into a hand and glove idea. You know, we need to understand the process that it's going to be operating within from not just the, the gas composition and temperature, but, you know, what does the dust look like? Is the dust normally very dry and free flowing? What's its particle size or is it sticky and agglomerating? And, and, you know, this rings true with yourself, but, you know, is combustion an issue? You know, do I need to put a stainless steel um, mesh in, material in here to make sure the whole bag is grounded out? Do I need to use a grounding wire to make sure that happens so that the bag is conductive to the tube sheet and the tube sheet is grounded to the, you know, the bag house, then it, the bag house is actually grounded to the ground. You know, all of those things. So it really comes back to, I need to understand your process and what the bag house is supposed to do for the process. And then we can really start looking at what kind of fabric do you need? What kind of fabric finish do you need? Um, what kind of cage do you need? Can you get away with mild steel? Do you need something that's galvanized because of the, the gases you have? Is stainless an option? You know, it all comes back to what is the operating environment for the filter? Okay. So that's, we've got through the, the hood now, our, our dust is traveling up through the hood. It's went through the ductwork. It's gotten into the bag house. What do we need to know about exhaust systems? And well, maybe we'll do exhaust systems alone and then we'll talk about fans at the end. So what, what do we need to know about, you know, exhaust systems for dust collection? So the same principles for your inlet ducting will apply for the exhaust system. The only if, difference is that everything in the exhaust system is supposed to be clean air, right? You know, all the dust was supposed to be captured within the bag house. And so the requirements of that minimum velocity actually get relaxed. So you don't have to have that gas traveling so fast on the clean side. So you can go a little bit larger in diameter, which will give you less resistance. Um, that would be one. Where are you going to exhaust the system? You know, is this going to exhaust back into a building? Is it in a large warehouse where it's not a big deal? Is it going to go through the roof, through the side of the building, you know, things of that nature. And the last one is, um, I know you said we were going to talk about fans separately, but I've seen a lot of good systems. And then what they'll do is they'll have the fan on the roof and they will put a really hard 90 degree elbow coming right off of it. And to me, that's like the perfect routine at the Olympics on the, uh, on the balance beam. And then you just don't stick the landing. It's, it's everything was right up until that point. And I think people forget that you can create a significant amount of back pressure at the discharge of the fan itself that will impact the operation of the whole upstream system itself. Yeah, I've heard that before where the fan's really a critical part and it, it changes with time too, right? So your system during startup in the first couple of months and years, they're different operating parameters than you know once it's an older system or if you, if you add more duct lines or all that sort of needs to be accounted for. Do you, have you come across cases where fans become, you know, undersized over time or the system needs, needs to be upgraded to larger fans? Yeah, absolutely. This is definitely one of those items where when either modifications are done after design or the installation does not match design, then the fan sometimes has to be adjusted to make up for that. So for instance, let's say you had a system that was designed 
that was supposed to have, let's say, 200 feet of total ducting and 10 elbows. And you end up with a, a system that now has 350 feet of ducting and 15 elbows. You know, the, the fan you bought for the first system, the one you wanted, is not going to work anywhere close to as well on the system that you actually installed and have. And so that's where I've seen issues is that what it was designed for isn't the way it was installed or it was designed and installed properly. And then as you, you said, you know, now we add three or four more pickup points to it and the, the fan just doesn't have the extra capacity to handle it. Yeah, that makes sense. And Diane brought that up quite a bit on, in her podcast episode. I think, I think unengineered modifications was, was like the top, the top challenge with, with companies. If you change that system, then you can end up with things like combustible dust setting out, settling out in your ducts and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If you don't do the, you know, tap and tapers, right. Bringing in uh, branches to the main trunk line. Yeah. And you know, like you and I had talked about before, I mean, the fan is the arbiter of truth. I mean, you can do whatever you want to that system, but the fan is going to know and it's going to basically, it's going to call you out on any changes that you make on that system. I write that down. The fan is the arbiter of truth. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's great. I mean, that's, that, that is, um, probably about as quick as you could describe a dust collection system and the different components, I would think. Um, we just kind of go through a, through an overview. Um, we talked about BWF Envirotech, um, your role there. We talked about the different components of a dust collection system, the hood, ductwork, the, the box or the bag hose, the exhaust system, and the fan. Um, we talked about different categorizations, categorizing by, by when the filter bags are cleaned, if they're cleaned in the Airstream, that's online. Or if they're they're cleaned when you know the airstream's de- deactive in that part, it's offline. We talked about how the cake is cleaned off the off the bags, and we talked about different types of um, filters themselves. We went through hoods and enclosures. We went through ductwork, bag houses, and fans, and just kind of talked about what people need to know. Um, there are a couple of, of key things, kind of fitting your process parameters, your dust or your material rather, your process conditions, you know, moisture levels size and shape of what you're picking up uh need to pick it up you know if you if you only need to pick up so much that's one thing if you need to pick up everything that's another thing um and that all really needs to go into your your dust design or your design of the whole dust collection system that's really why you need to know your stuff in order to do this and then still know your stuff afterwards because if you start making modifications to the system then you know you're going to end up with a the not well functioning system at the end of the day and as matt said you know the fan is the arbiter of truth it's going to find out if you did something without telling. <laughs> um, so with that, I just want to give you, you know, one, one more chance. Is there anything else that you think people need to know about dust collection systems? Maybe, uh, maybe tying into combustible dust, but even just, just things that you see out there in the, in the industries every day that you're working in. Yeah. I think the, the two items that come to mind real quickly. So the one is just general TLC on the piece of equipment, you know, like you talked about as things run, they'll change the dynamics change. This is true with, you know, ducting. I mean, ducting will not last forever. If it starts to get holes in it, then that's going to take away the capacity. If the, you know, the hood for some reason starts to, you know, again, get holes in it for whatever reason or isn't sealed properly. You know, so just general TLC on the overall system is definitely needed. The other one that I would bring up is more towards the combustible dust side, and that is instrumentation on a baghouse is usually not as robust as I would like to see in some of those systems. So like, for example, 
hopper level indicators. I don't see them out in industry nearly as much as I would like to. And if you think about combustible dust, and for me, a lot of that uh, history I have with them is pulverized fuels. So if they sit for a while and they start to smolder, these are all bad things that happen in a hopper. And if you don't have the instrumentation to let you know, hey, my hopper is now at a high level and now it's at a high, high level, I have no good way of looking into that bag house to get an idea of what material is coming out of the airlocks or the double dump valves or whatever you have. So, you know, looking at it as a, the bag house as a way of enhancing the overall process. And sometimes you have to do that by putting some more instrumentation into it. Yeah, I like that. And that's probably the, the next level discussion on, on all this is what instrumentation do we need to be able to, you know, analyze our system and understand when it's, when it's gone, when things are, are going towards, uh, you know, a hazardous situation. So I think that's a, you know, that's probably a great ending point for this episode. So yeah, we've been talking about a, a dust collector training mini session. We've been talking with Matt Divot of BWF Virotech. If you want to connect with Matt, we'll have his contact information in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 32. I would certainly recommend people check out the Dust Collector Training Academy. It's at September 16th to 19th of this year in, in Hebron, Kentucky. This is something that I, I really was hoping to get to last year. I didn't make it. And this year, I have it on my list to, to try to get to as well. Because I know that there's a lot more that we can learn over a 3D pro period and kind of getting your hands dirty than and you can do in a in a 25-minute podcast. So I would encourage people to check that out. We'll have it in the show notes. It's also in the events calendar at dustsafetyscience.com slash events. If you have any other events um, that, that you're aware of that's not there, you can definitely send those through. Make sure they get included. It's getting a little bit um, busy there right now because we, we include every webinar, every um, in-person event around the world. So we need to come up with a filter system for that. Um, but for right now, just keep sending it through and we'll add them and we'll, we'll put the filters on later. Um, and that's it for this, this episode of the podcast. So as always, I just want to thank you for, for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. I really appreciate everything that each of you are doing to make facilities handling combustible dust safer every day. Mm-hmm.